census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. of the Throwdown Thursday podcast, a proud part of the Dorkening Network and sponsored by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you do not go back. We are here broadcasting to you live from the Pat Cave at Magenta Manor. And by we, I mean yours truly, Ashes Von Nightmare, putting the female in female trouble. And my co-host on the show and my co-host in life, Patsy, the filthy nerd. Yes, and I am putting the trouble in female trouble. (laughs) So in case you haven't uh, put two and two together, today we are talking about the filthiest filthiest character to ever grace the silver screen the most beautiful woman in the world yeah exactly divine uh we figured it is pride month we are proud allies in this house and we wanted to celebrate and discuss a character that you know a we haven't covered yet and b i think i just i really i exemplifies pride i would say i adore divine and and the stuff that he created with John Waters and this legacy that he's left behind. So I'm really, really, really excited to get into the meat of our discussion. But anyways, for today, our getting into character question, uh, because of the legacy that John Waters and Divine has created with all of these cult classic films, we're talking about some of our favorite cult classic films. Now, I know the term cult classic is a little uh, loaded because a lot of people have a lot of different opinions as to what classifies a film as a cult classic. So I think you and I, Patsy, are on similar terms as to how we classify cult classic films uh, as being films that had either a very limited theatrical release or a uh, very unsuccessful theatrical release and were was I'm gonna say demoted for lack of a better term uh, to midnight viewings or viewings you know at obscure times at really interesting places or these old you know smaller small theaters, theaters uh, that slowly kind of gained in popularity. Um, yeah, like I there's a there's a lot of those movies that are out there, you know, and I'm sure there's a couple of uh, a couple of them that immediately uh have popped into your head because you have a different view of you know you when i say you i'm not talking to ashes i'm talking it's, about you it's folks the at home. universal the, the royal you, folks, you you folks listening at home um when you think of the term cult film like i know there's films that uh you're thinking of and they're like oh yeah because i'm like the only one of my friends that likes this movie and you know i'm going to show this you know at all like you know if um uh, if somebody were to ask you know um 
you know, ask me, I'm going to, which you did. But, which I did, so. Uh, I'm going to give a different answer than, you know, maybe somebody who is at home right now. But uh, I will give my answer since uh, I can't hear the people at home talking. Um, I can. I actually, I have two. I and have uh, one of them, actually both of them, we have discussed on this show. Uh, the first one is bad CGI sharks. Because uh, I didn't want to go with an obvious one, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure you expected me to say, like, the Warriors or something like that. Um, but bad CGI sharks, which has been gaining a lot of momentum and a lot of popularity in Japan. In Japan. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's played in small theaters, but it's, like, really getting popular in Japan, which I think is awesome. Well, and I think that's kind of, uh, I mean, so Bad CGI Sharks was released on physical media. It didn't, I, well, it technically got a limited theatrical release. That's what I said. I mean, it a played, very, very, very limited a, theatrical release. It was one day um, in a theater. But, no, that's actually a really good one. And to kind of piggyback off of that, I think those... The sci-fi asylum films can kind of fall into this category a little bit as well. Because their premieres, they do have premieres. Like, we were invited to the premiere of uh, Megalodon, but we were unable to go. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's a different kind of... I mean, obviously, you know, it's um, more widely available because it is on cable television, but it still kind of has that, I don't know, that, that, that feel to it. Yes, it definitely has that that um, that type of uh, cult film. You know, like, because when you th sometimes you think of cult films and you think of you something think of that's like, like low, grimy. Yeah, you think low budget. Right. You know, and a lot of exploitation. horror. I was going to say, and a lot of horror films actually fit into this category because horror films, for some reason, especially uh, not so much the newer ones, but definitely horror films from like the 70s and the 80s, you know, had theatrical releases, but they didn't do well. Yeah. And if you weren't, you know, it's like a film like The Monster Squad, which if you if you didn't see it in the theaters, you had to wait till it came to HBO. And then, you know, then you had to wait for it to hit your local video store. Um, but for my second one, it's actually a documentary about cult classic films. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I am talking about Survival of the Film Freaks, uh, which in itself I would consider a cult classic film, or at least a cult film. I don't know if it's old enough to be a classic yet. Um, and it's all about the history of cult cinema. And I was uh, lucky enough to be able to watch some of the films that were included, in the, including uh, Alabama's Ghost, which you cannot find anywhere and I think is... Just one of the the wackiest, uh, most awesome uh, uh, exploitation films of the seventies. Like it's got, you know, like crazy racist ghosts. <laughs> um, not my words, the words from the characters in the in the film. Um, you know, real magic powers and a car made out of dinosaur bones. Um, it's it's phenomenal. And that's one of the films that's featured in uh, Survival of the Film Freaks, which you can get on Amazon Prime. It's directed by uh, our friends uh, Bill Fulkerson and Kyle Kukta. So definitely check that out. Um, and we, we have multiple versions of this film. We have the Blu-ray. We have the VHS. 
and we have the bootleg DVD that they made where Bill spliced in some old um, some old commercials from like when we were kids, uh, including like you know the New, uh, the New England Aquarium, the Boston Aquarium. I, I can, can walk, walk like, like a, a penguin. penguin. Yeah, they spliced that <laughs> that in, um, and <laughs> like not they gonna put lie, it in, say that every time we go to the New England Aquarium when we walk by the penguin exhibit. I can walk like a penguin. And I'm sure you're the only person who does that. I am the only person who does it, and it never gets old. And uh, they put it in, like, you know, like a very different packaging. Uh, That's one of the very few movies where we have it on all three of those mediums. Uh, We also have the the soundtrack on cassette. Um, But Bad CGI Sharks is another one of those movies. Just to give you an example, we have the box on all three. Looking uh, at the VHS right now. Yep, uh, the box on all three, and uh, the Warriors. I have the Warriors somewhere. The Monster Squad and King Kong versus Godzilla. Well, and I think and that's um, you know, VHS is obs- obviously obsolete at this point, but collectors are really keeping this media alive, and broke horror fan. Teams with Whittier Entertainment. Witter. Witter. Why do I keep calling it Whittier? I don't know. I don't know why. Witter. Broke horror fan teams with Witter Entertainment to bring some of these great horror films, like recent horror films. Psycho on Gorman. VHS. Yeah. Which they still own. I put it in order like two months ago. I am still waiting for my psycho. I'm going to have to reach out to some uh, people that we know and find out. Be like, hey, where's my VHS? But it's kind of a, a cool way to Terrifier keep some of these. another one. Yeah. VFW. You know keep some of these films uh i don't know i don't even know what i'm trying to get at here it just kind of gives them that vintage feel kind of like contributes to to that cult different classic you know i know some of these are more recent but you know definitely cult films has have the potential to be cult classic films and it just kind of gives it that feel yeah and some of these movies that you know have come out that are almost trying for that cult status especially movies that are uh or short films that are crowdfunded will try to have that sort of aesthetic to it, like Kung Fury. Kung Fury is one that immediately comes to mind that is a cult film, uh, even though it's a short, but it has a lot of uh, like 80s feel to it, especially where like there's uh, scenes where the tracking needs to be adjusted, which mm-hmm. used to happen if your, your VHS tape was getting old. Some of them... Would like the fancy VCRs would automatically adjust the tracking to make the picture clearer. Uh, others, uh, you'd have to hit the buttons to adjust the tracking, and still others, you were out of luck. So, so I have a couple. Uh, obviously, I feel like the low-hanging fruit, the most common one, is the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I have to mention it because it's one of my favorite films. And it's something that, you know, now that we're kind of entering this post-COVID era, I'm really hoping that we can get back to the shadow casts and going to local, smaller theaters and watching, you know, Rocky Horror, especially during spooky season. It just, there's something about it being October, it being fall, it being cooler outside, and waiting outside of a small, you know, theater dressed up as one of the characters. Usually I'm dressed as Columbia in her pajamas, although I might do, I'm, I'm 
thinking I might need to break out of magenta. The first time I went, I just wore a shark suit because I didn't know what to do. But, like, that's perfect. And we talked about that. and We didn't give anything away because when you go the first time to one of these shows, you, yeah, you don't want to... You don't want anyone to know what's going. If you've never been to a Rocky Horror Picture Show Shadowcast and you're even just like a sliver of a fan of the film, do yourself a favor and go. It is one of the craziest, most awesome experiences you will ever experience in your life. It really is. To get a slight idea, watch one of the new Bob's Burgers episodes. It's like the camaraderie is, is like incredible. You know, you're sitting in a theater. I mean, you know, Go with a group of friends. That makes it a hell of a lot more fun. But you're sitting in a, you know, this small theater, but it's packed. And you're surrounded by people you don't know, but, like, you're all best friends for these two hours that you're watching this and film. And you get a shit bag. Yeah, and you get a shit bag. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, Rocky Horror, it's it, it bombed, completely bombed within a couple of weeks in the box office. And they were trying to find a slot for it. They're like, well, we'll... we'll Play it at midnight because, you know, what else are we going to do with it? And that's when all the and weirdos turned crazy. People started coming to see it and it just turned into this this thing, this phenomenon. It, Rocky Horror is the longest running theatrical film. Yeah, I believe it. Because it's still it's still played. And it's still played worldwide, you know, which is crazy to think about. It came out in like 1975. You know, so it, it it's still iconic, iconic. Another one that isn't necessarily a classic yet, but it's definitely a cult film, and it has that uh, it has the potential of becoming a classic. You know, within the next ten to twenty years, is Repo the Genetic Opera? Oh yeah, like that. They do shadow casts for that. We've seen it. Uh, like we haven't gone to the it's shadow like pretty cast. much any anything that like any film that people get dressed up to go to that's not a Disney film or Star uh, Wars or Star Wars uh, can pretty much be Harry considered Potter, that Hunger or Games. right anything uh, that's anything not a that's mainstream not, right. yeah anything that's not like a franchise. Um, Anything that's not produced by Disney like in Phantom any ways. Phantom of the Paradise would be a great one. That is a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Repo the Genetic Opera is great. You know, they have a shadow cast for that. That's something that people, you know, get dressed up for in the same vein of Rocky Horror. Obviously not as popular because it had doesn't have the longevity. It hasn't been around as long as Rocky Horror has been. But uh, so close to it 20 years. Out? No. Oh, to like 2010? No, before. Yeah, eight. 10? 2009, maybe? 2010? Fortunately, I have all of the world's information at my fingertips. In my phone. So I can uh, I can look it up. Uh, 2008. Okay. I think we heard about it in like 2009, 2010. We were watching something and I they saw a, a, com- it was a, a trailer. trailer. Yeah, and I saw the trailer for it and I was like, oh my God, I need to see this. And then we did and then we have it signed by half the cast. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. That is a film with characters that we need to cover. Yes, yes it is. Because some of those characters are just so great. Uh, like that guy, Rob Graves. Yeah, I think that's his Robin. Name. Robin Graves. Yes. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to throw uh, John Waters' film out there. I mean, granted, this one it had a little more uh, 
critical acclaim to it because of what it was. But Hairspray, the original Hairspray, not the one that came out uh, John Travolta. in the early 2000s. Yeah, with John Travolta and oh Christopher Walken. I mean, granted, that was fantastic. But the original Hairspray, you know, with Divine and Jerry Stiller Ricky and Ricky Lake. Lake and Debbie Harry is in it. Like, it's so good like it's so wrong it's right and it's perfect and it's you know this one of my favorite musicals i've noticed that all of my favorite cult films are, are also musicals, musicals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a musical uh yeah hairspray is just great it has some great songs to it uh, the overall message is fantastic too um you know love yourself love everyone else but yeah so we want to no, hear I mean, from if you me. can't love yourself how in the hell are you going to love somebody else can, can i get, get an amen, amen up in here <laughs> so we're going to take a quick break uh but before we do that we want to hear from you let us know what are some of your favorite cult classic films and put on your polyester Eat your makeup, grab your hairspray, and throw on those cha-cha heels. Because when we come back, we're talking everything divine. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. In a world swarming with boring, predictable awards shows, what will separate from the rest? Rise above and unite the podcasting realm in a testament to the outstanding achievements of the community. The Amalgamania Podcasting and Entertainment Awards. Podcasters, YouTubers, and Twitch streamers, now is your time. Make your voices heard and submit your program by going to amalga-mania.com for all the details, submission categories, and guidelines. The Amalgamania Podcasting and Entertainment Awards, the summer's biggest blockbuster event. You don't want to miss it. People like to laugh at sex, people like to laugh at dirty things, and people love to be shocked, I think. You make my nips get hard. So that's my job, to get out there and shock them. Divine it was dangerous. Part outlaw, part serial killer. You, my dear, are dead. Divine was a cinematic terrorist. She was simultaneously sexy and monstrous. Is she gonna screw me or eat me? She <laughs> was a midnight movie star. You could only see her after midnight, but it was worth staying up. The pediatrician told me that Glennie was more feminine than was masculine. He got beat up every day at school. I was very uptight about my weight and about the way I looked. When Divine finally did go out, he met gay people, and then he went out with a vengeance. Divine was breaking the rules of drag and defying them by wearing stuff that a fat person would never wear. 
John Waters started to make films for our own enjoyment and to keep us out of trouble. And that's how Divine got born. Immediately, everybody noticed it. Anything that John asked Divi to do, he would do. Divine ate a dog turd, and I don't think anybody in the history of cinema is ever going to top that feat. John and Divine became a phenomenon. If they had any kind of name, he wanted to meet him. And guess what? He did. Divine was probably your typical addict, shopping and love and drugs at some point food. He would pull a chair up to the refrigerator and eat out of the refrigerator. He would say, come on, Ricky, let's share a pie. Let's eat a roast. He was very depressed because he was trying to parlay this divine character into an acting career as a man. Before, it was just always this fat transvestite with a big candy floss wig. They couldn't see beyond the paint and the exterior. He really wanted to be known as a character actor. It was really important to him. He was such a gregarious, pink piece of flesh. He just figured he'd go on forever. No one else can ever call themselves divine. That's her legacy. He stood for anybody that didn't fit in, that exaggerated what everybody hated, turned it into a style, and won. I am divine. And we are back. So thanks for sticking around. That was the uh, trailer that we just played for the Netflix uh I don't know if it's a Netflix exclusive. But it's but on Netflix. The Netflix documentary, I Am Divine, that yes. came out in 2013. Which is a really great documentary. There are a couple of documentaries out right now uh, about Divine and who he was and the characters that he portrayed. But I Am Divine, that was, uh, it was really well done. Gives you a great look into who Divine was, both in and out of the, the character of Divine, his relationship with his family, his relationship with his friends, you know, uh, his obviously, you know, friendship, working relationship. Uh, they, they were almost soulmates at time uh, with John Waters. You know, it, it's very interesting. So if you love Divine or even if you're just interested in learning a little more about, you know, more than what we're going to cover here on this show it's definitely worth checking out. So we're going to start in the beginning, which is a very good place to start. It generally is. So Harris Glenn Milstead was born on October 19, 1945, at the Women's Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Divine preferred to use his middle name, Glenn, to distinguish himself from his father and was referred to as such by his parents and friends. So from this point forward, we're either going to refer to him as either Divine or as Glenn. He never used Harris. I just want to um, I want to throw this out there because I'm sure there are folks who are listening to this. Um, why do we keep referring to Divine as him? We can cover that. Shortly. Okay, I just, I just yes, want. Yes, we're going to get into that. Know, so like, there's a uh, there, specific there's, reason. Yes, there's a specific reason why we're not using uh, she or interchangeable her. pronouns. We're strictly keeping with with he him throughout this, um, and that's actually a really good question. And I'm going to kind of side note to this. Yeah, because I, I so, think it's important, especially with everything. You know, I think that gender identity and knowing who you are and being addressed as such is important 
you know, whatever you identify as, I want you to tell me what you identify as so I can address you in the appropriate way. You know, I don't want to dead name you. I don't want to misgender you. So when it comes to especially the world of drag and performance arts like this, uh, a lot of times it is a gay man uh, cross-dressing or posing as a, f- a female, you know, presenting as as a woman. And they will be he, him, out of drag, and she, her, in drag. Now, some of these drag performers who make that their livelihood, they don't care if you call them she, her, the entire time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, especially when it comes to them addressing their drag sisters and stuff, even if they're out of drag, you know, sometimes they'll call each other by their drag names versus their real names. And, you know, it's a, it's, you know, almost like a, a, a sense of camaraderie in a, you know, in a way. Um, some of these drag performers will go by she, her, when they're presenting as a, as a, you know, female in drag, but they are actually non-binary and go by they, them when they are out of drag. So, you know, and some of these drag performers, some of them are women. They are biological women who do drag, you know, uh, and they're fantastic. Uh, there are trans women who do drag. There are trans men who do drag. So, you know, it's, it's a whole thing. And long story short, basically what I'm getting at is... If you don't know, ask. I think a person would much rather be asked what their preferred pronouns are. Or, you know, if you do happen to use the incorrect pronouns, if they correct you, don't take offense to it. Just learn and move on. Yeah, acknowledge and then from there on use the the preferred right. pronouns. You didn't know. Now you know. And there we go. So that's so, that's why I kind of wanted to just. Right. So there's a reason why. Like yeah, there's a reason why and we're going to get into it during this discussion as to why he and, and, you know, granted, some of his friends and stuff referred to, you know, Glenn is he and Divine is she. And that's fine, too. But, you know, in the bulk of the conversation, Glenn always referred to Divine as he. Yeah, because I, I and even, John Waters referred to Divine as he. That's what I was gonna say. I even had the same question when we were watching it, and I'm like, well, if John Waters is referring to Divine as he, John Waters would fucking know, like what the what right. his preferred pronouns right. would be, even though that wasn't you know that wasn't a thing. You know what I mean? Like it's not. As prevalent as it is now, but you know what I'm it, saying. You right. Like, I just wanted it, to make sure I was. It was doing a it thing, right. but it wasn't a thing. It wasn't. Um... Well, you know what? We're just going to get into the discussion yeah, because we're going to answer it. some of those questions in the discussion. So, like I said, Harris Glenn Milstead was born on October 19th, 1945, at the Women's Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. Divine preferred to use his middle name Glenn to distinguish himself from his father, who was also Harris Glenn Milstead, uh, and was referred to as such by his parents and friends. The Milsteads were relatively wealthy and socially conservative Baptists, which is, you know, a great way for a young gay boy to grow up. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Describing his upbringing, Divine recollected, I was an only child in, I guess, your upper middle class American family. I was probably your American spoiled brat. 
His parents lavished him almost anything that he wanted upon him, including food, and he became overweight, a condition he lived with for the rest of his life. Of course, the this is divine quoting. Of course, the last thing my parents wanted was a son who wears a cocktail dress that glitters, but they've come around to it. So his parents weren't necessarily um, supportive of him right off the bat. He obviously, he, he had a weight issue. He had issues with overeating. Uh, he was a chubbier kid, didn't quite fit in. He was bullied a lot, like tormented at school. Uh, and his parents actually sent him to a psychologist to not only help him with his weight hoping that they could the, the psychologist could kind of you know get him to think differently about food but he was really effeminate more so than other boys and they knew that there, there was something but you know he was growing up at a time where you couldn't be gay right like you just you couldn't even if you were gay you couldn't be gay you had to present as as masculine as you possibly could and he just couldn't do it you know like he just did i mean he ended up having a girlfriend in high school you know uh beards are what they're called and she was a very nice girl and they had you know a nice relationship but obviously that's not what he that's not what he was interested in i mean he did uh come out as bisexual he was attracted to women some women sometimes Mm -hmm. but you know he was he was gay and and unfortunately you know he was living in a time where he couldn't do anything about it so he was quoted as saying, people who used to make fun are now fans. I had the last laugh. After high school, he attended beauty school and became a hairdresser. Eventually gave up his job, and for a while he was financially supported by his parents, who catered to his expensive taste in clothes and cars. He began dressing in drag as his favorite celebrity, Elizabeth Taylor. I need and- to just quickly interject one thing about the his parents unless you have those notes further on about his extravagant just, lifestyle just hold up okay just hold up. okay <laughs> and throwing lavish parties on his parents dime yep that's... he would bill everything to them and then rip up the bills before his parents saw them it worked until his father's credit rating went in the toilet and nobody knew why yeah, so, like, John Waters is telling this story about how, like, he was just, like, no matter what, like, extravagant food, extravagant, like, he limousines. He to take care of his friends. Buying them jewelry. He, you know, uh, <laughs> loved to show the people he loved exactly how much he loved them. But he didn't have any money. So when you don't have any monies, how can you lavishly spend? support people and how can you you know lavishly spread your love all over the place his parents paid for it without realizing that they were paying for it until they realized they were paying for it yeah all their car- all their credit cards got caught up and you know like you said his dad's credit rating went like right down the tank the toilet tank Divine was quoted in regards to Elizabeth Taylor. Divine was quoted as saying, All my life I wanted to look like Elizabeth Taylor. Now Elizabeth Taylor looks like me. Yeah, which I thought was uh, (laughs) funny and also a pretty good shot at Elizabeth Taylor. I mean, you know, he was quoted saying this in like the, I think, early 80s. 
Elizabeth Taylor, fabulous through and through from day one till the day she passed. Just fucking fabulous. Uh, But, you know, she had some weight issues towards the end. But I mean, like, who cares? I mean, who doesn't? Like, other than like Doug Jones. (laughs) right oh my goodness who's fantastic but anyways so at 16 years old divine his life began to change he met a boy who lived down the street from him having been expelled from nyu for smoking pot and would become a lifelong friend and collaborator it was none other than john waters the iconic film director later called quote the pope of trash by a legendary writer William Burroughs. This, I mean, just kind of, it it just, they found each other and this friendship just blossomed. You know, uh, they realized they were both gay men. They realized that they were both just, you know, kind of obscure. They weren't... uh, They couldn't conform to what people wanted them to be. They had to be themselves. Right. They, They couldn't, you know... They were weirdos. You know, weirdos kind of find each other always. Mm-hmm. I mean, high five. Yeah. Yeah. Weirdos. Um, you know, and, and there was just something about the two of them. Their their energies just really meshed well together. They decided that they were going to be collaborators. They were going to make films. And it turned into this incredible, uh, very interesting film career for the both of them. Waters actually gave Glenn Milstead the name Divine, and the two began working together. Waters felt Divine was, quote, the most beautiful woman in the world, almost, (laughs) the best partner in crime with who he wanted to make wildly, delightfully trashy films. And I think they accomplished their goal. Their first efforts together were Roman Candles and Eat Your Makeup, two shorts from 1966 and 1968, in which Divine appears on screen in drag for the first time, in the latter as Jackie Kennedy in their restaging of JFK's assassination, considered a profoundly, quote, too soon moment at the time, followed by the aforementioned Mondo Trash Show, their first feature-length film together. Very nice. Yeah, I, I remember they showed clips from that, and it was. Yes. I, I thought <laughs> Divine looked amazing. I mean, Divine. Oh, let's just use it. Divine, regardless of what Divine was wearing or what Divine was doing, Divine always looked amazing. Right, but there She's... was Divine looking like Divine, and Divine attempting to look like Jackie Kennedy, and Divine looked amazing as Jackie Kennedy. Is what I'm saying. Let me see. Glenn had a very pretty face and very pretty eyes too. Piercing. Yes. Piercing blue eyes. Very, very intense. He just blue he eyes. had a face that wore makeup really well. You know, regardless of, of what they did to him, he's he just he always looked amazing. Divine. He he always looked divine. <laughs> 
Waters helped Divine craft her image, suggesting something strange and extravagant for her appearance, which included Divine shaving her hairline back to the middle of her head and wearing wildly drawn eye makeup by artist Van Smith. So when first creating his alter ego, Divine told makeup artist friend Van Smith that he wanted a look that was a cross between Jane Mansfield and Clarabelle the Cow from the Howdy Doody show. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Quote, John wanted a very large woman because he wanted the exact opposite of what normally would be beautiful, Divine told Terry Gross on NPR's Fresh Air in 1988. Quote, he wanted a 300-pound beauty as opposed to a 110-pound beauty. He was, as I've been called, inflated he, oh, he wanted, as I've been called, inflated Jane Mansfield. Yes, because they me- they definitely mentioned Jane Mansfield. And, you know, like Divine had that same confident strut, for lack of a better term. Like, just, yeah, I, I can get it. There is something about, I mean, so Divine is a character, and we're going to we're going to get into this shortly. Uh, Glenn and divine are two completely different people yes divine would do things that glenn would never do it's almost like dissociative identity disorder but kind of he controlled it right right so i mean he was divine he brought divine to life but to say that i mean glenn was divine but divine was not glenn right they were completely completely different uh personalities completely different like divine was brash and crude and oh she was fucking punk she was so punk rock glenn was this nice he was very well spoken uh loving very well mannered yeah like just the they were Glenn would never eat dog shit. Divine, on the other hand. uh, Glenn would never give blowjobs to serial killers. (laughs) Yes. Divine, on the other hand. Or eat white sugar. I don't know what's more shocking. That was, I guess that was a thing, like, Divine came out and was doing, like, this, you know. Bit. I'm trying to, like, uh, not like a, uh, not like the shock check, but like how, like, Andrew Dice Clay or Sam Kinison would come out and do, like, this really angry, like, comedy. And just like, oh, yeah, you know, and nobody reacted when he said, you know, I, I give blowjobs to serial killers. But when he said, I eat white sugar, everyone was aghast. <gasps> <gasps> how dare you? You've stepped over the line there, mister. Like, what? Divine took to the screen again with this signature makeup look, this time in multiple maniacs, today considered a Waters classic to the point of it being included in the Criterion collection. Rated X, the film follows Divine as she heads the misfit sideshow troupe, the cavalcade of perversion, and seeks out revenge on a cheating lover. 
A love and lore of divine began to spread throughout underground culture, mostly because Waters would only show multiple maniacs at churches he rented out in order to avoid censors and increased to uh, an incredible degree when Pink Flamingos came out in 1972. The film became a cult sensation at midnight film screenings. Screenings, not screaming. I mean, maybe screamings, too. I mean, if you have it I in mean, a church, <laughs> there's probably some people screaming about well, it. Well, I mean, especially in regards to Pink Flamingo, um, in the documentary, and John Waters has actually mentioned this quite a few times in regards to Pink Flamingos, uh, that scene, the scene where Divine eats the dog poo. Fresh! Fresh! They waited shit. three hours. They followed that dog with a camera for three hours waiting for him to take a shit. It took two days and an enema. That's I'm. That's what they said yes. in the documentary. Yes. Two days and an enema. And, and as soon followed. as that dog shit, he said, "Every time a person vomited, it was like a standing ovation." And they got a lot of standing ovations. The film became a cult sensation at midnight film screenings, perhaps perhaps most notably for the scene in which Divine eats fresh dog shit. Fearless, raunchy, and unapologetic, Divine became an underground star, even heading out to San Francisco to pour, perform with the Coquettes. It was around this time that John Waters suggested Divine ramp up his aesthetic. He became even more over the top as, quote, Godzilla of drag, donning miniskirts and tight dresses that drew attention to his ample frame and even more ostentatious makeup. It was something drag queens didn't do at the time. So at this time, drag queen, drag was a thing and drag queens were around, but drag queens wanted to be pretty. Very they were glamorous. very pageant-like. Yes. You know, very prim and proper. They wore like the tea dresses you know like the chanel tea dresses no uh, well you wouldn't but you know <laughs> um you know just very very pretty very and like you know big hair Feminine but like and bouffant hair perfectly coiffed yeah, trying to trying to be as feminine. Audrey as, Hepburn and 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 Jackie Kennedy. And... Yes, prim and proper. And then here comes Divine in this loud makeup and these tight, ill-fitting clothes that just A left bright red cocktail dress to the imagination. You know, and this teased like platinum, 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 blonde, so blonde, it's white hair, just teased, 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 and a fucking mess, and here Which she comes. Which starts in the be in the middle of his fucking head. Yeah, and, and, and just everything that these other queens were not, and he was like, I'm fucking divine, eat it, you know, and, and we did, we ate it up, we fucking love her, and she kind of changed the, the tra trajectory of drag. Oh, 100%. 100% because I think without Divine, there'd be no Sharon Needles, no Alaska, you know, nobody like that. No Bob the Drag Queen, no Latrice Rael. Like, I think that's... Well, I mean, there, there would be no Boulet Brothers. Dragula mm, would not yeah. be a thing. All of these more performance art drag stars uh, wouldn't even be a thing. I don't even think Drag Kings would be a thing without Divine. Yeah, because that's a you know, good point. Divine brought this, uh, you know, although presenting, I was like, although presenting female, you know, Divine still had this like slight masculine quality about her. Like, you know, he didn't want 
Definitely didn't have a fully, feminine voice. Right. You know, and it just it just worked. It just worked. So, uh, quote, his legacy was that he made all the drag queens cool. They were square then. They wanted to be Miss America and be their mothers, John Waters said in an interview with Baltimore Magazine. Quote, he broke every rule. And now every drag queen, everyone that's successful today is cutting edge. Divine Star continued to rise with Waters' film Female Trouble, Afterwards, he began doing more theater work in New York and London. Divine also developed a career as a club performer and would produce a number of successful singles in the 1970s and 80s, even appearing on the hit UK music show Top of the Pops with his song, You Think You're a Man. He became celebrated as a fearless performer, and his presence was in demand at places like Studio 54 and Andy Warhol's Factory. He was at, uh, was he at the factory? Um, when somebody came up and said, hey, Andy Warhol wants to meet you. I think it was, it was either factory or Studio 54, and I don't remember which. So, yeah, they both, you know, Warhol f- obviously frequented both. Divine frequented both. And, uh, yeah, somebody came up and said, hey, Andy Warhol wants, wants to meet you. And... He was like, yeah, no shit, I'm divine. Right, yeah. So he goes up and, and, and Andy Warhol's like, okay. And then walks away. <laughs> like, I just wanted to meet you. I'm good. Yeah, which, I mean, that's Andy Warhol for you. Like, but like, I mean, divine a, fits in perfectly bore. with, you know, the really colorful company that Andy Warhol kept. Divine would have been an amazing club kid. Don't even get me started, okay? Just don't. RuPaul was a club kid. Imagine Divine. Lady Bunny was a club kid. I don't know uh, who Lady Bunny is. I'm not familiar. But if you had if you had Divine. uh, So speaking of Lady Bunny. Okay, so side note, because this is what we're doing today. um, We're going to a drag show on Saturday night. It's a drive-in drag show. I'm so fucking excited. And some of the... It's all Rue girls from past seasons. A couple of them from the most recent season, who I'm really excited to see. Uh, Gottmik, who is a trans man, who does drag, and he is a phenomenal makeup artist and my favorite rosé i mean my favorite not because her name is rosé but you know it doesn't uh, hurt and and she you know dresses in pink and does a lot of pink stuff but uh, i mean it it definitely doesn't hurt but uh I, i heard that maybe just maybe lady bunny is gonna be there performing again i'm unfamiliar with lady bunny but i will i will get Another person we need to have conversations about on this show. Um, I will give you an education later. Uh, I, I mean, I was just thinking how divine would be with like Michael Alec. And, oh, and James A. James and, James and, and James. Wallpaper. Yeah. Like, and uh, oh my God, why am I? Oh, Richie Rich. I'm like, I know he created Heather at. Um, yeah, that that whole scene, that whole scene. Oh, Amanda Lepore. Oh. Yeah, this this is kind of like a conversation we would have on the sports show. It's like, oh, imagine this guy playing on this team and this. Imagine Jordan playing today. Like, it's the same thing. You know, like, yeah, it would. It, she would be. Divine would be a 
perfect club kid. Divine would um, be royalty. You know. I mean, he was. Just obviously super eccentric. I, I couldn't even imagine some of the ensembles that Divine would, would cook up and create to wear. Or that, like, people would make for him because it's like, I want Divine to wear my outfit. All right, we're getting, like, yeah, okay, way too okay, okay, okay. So, throughout all of this, Divine sought to be acknowledged as a multifaceted character actor, not just a drag queen, and struggled to get cast in male roles. Quote, I'm not a drag queen. I'm a character actor. I never set out in the beginning of my career to just play female roles, he told Gross on Fresh Air. But you couldn't quite turn down roles written for you as a young actor, he said. So he kept taking the roles offered to him. So, you know, as far as John Waters go, like they found a they found something that worked. You know, John Waters kept writing roles for Glenn as Divine in his films. And in some of his films, he was divine. In some of the film, you know, the character was divine. And in some of the films, it was divine as this character, you know, I mean, which is perfectly fine, you know, and, and he acknowledges and appreciates John Waters doing that for him. But, you know, he wanted to branch out. And that's kind of why he started doing some of the theater work, too. I mean, granted, he did it as divine, but he wanted to show people that he was just more that he wasn't just divine, he was Glenn Milstead. And Glenn right. Milstead was also talented. So, and that is why we use the term he throughout versus interchanging. And that's why John Waters constantly refers to him as he, because he wasn't a drag queen. You know, divine was a character that Glenn Milstead was playing. And divine just happened to be female. <coughs> but because. It was played by a male actor. They referred to him as, you know, as, as, as he. So Divine was quoted as saying, my favorite part of dressing in drag is getting out of it. Drag is my work clothes. I only put it on when someone pays me to. And that can be said about a lot of drag queens. Um, they love doing it, but they also love getting out. It's a lot of work. I it would is... imagine uh, tucking you know, you, you you ladies are like, oh, man, I'm so glad to take my bra off at the end of the day. I would imagine that tucking is very, uh, very similar to that. Yes, to... Uh... <laughs> Strap your dick up between your ass cheeks and your balls. Like, I don't understand. I like trying to wrap my head around the uh, logistics. And here's the thing. And I have big... Th I don't think I could do it. Some of these ladies have a flat front like fully flat mm -hmm. like no meaty tuck there just like fully like whew. where did it go yeah i don't <laughs> know you, but if i bend over it? it looks like a fruit bowl but here's the thing like n that's not it because they <sighs> i know you tuck it up in yeah you, you push your balls up in so like your balls can technically go if you're careful they can go up inside of you they'll come back down. also if you're not careful they can go up inside you but they won't come back down and then you you take your schnoodle and you put your schnoodle in between your bum cheeks so and that creates this nice and then there's this pair of it's a it's a piece of material it's called a gaff 
and that is what you wear before putting on your under you know your underwear your undergarments and that kind of helps keep everything in place yeah i mean if i'm I'm definitely getting paid if but I'm like, cramming my balls back up the inside thing, my body. And, you know, one of the things I love about drag is the evolution of drag. And the current evolution of drag is not every drag queen tucks. Not every drag queen shaves. Not every drag queen tries to be fully presenting as female. And I think that's fantastic. I think that is so great. You know, it's it's an art. And art is subjective. Art is interpreted. And I think that whatever you want to do, whatever you feel as a drag artist, do it. You know, nothing is wrong. Nothing is incorrect. And, you know, one of the things, one of the qualms people have about RuPaul's Drag Race is sometimes they stick to those drag queens need to be presenting as X and drag queens need to look this way. And they're slowly kind of... uh turning you know and and you know accepting the more alternative presentations of drag but they're still not as advanced as let's say dragula you know hosted by the boulet brothers that you know really uh embraces the all of the art form that drag is and more of the you know filthy glamorous side of of drag so, anyways, back to Divine. So, Divine continued to show his range in films like Polyester, which came out in 1981, and the 1988 classic Hairspray, a campy teen musical about racial integration in 1960s youth culture. With his role as Edna Turnblad, mother of Ricky Lake's character Tracy Turnblad, Divine caught the eye of famed New York film critic Pauline Kael. Quote, it's really Divine's movie. He watches over Tracy and preens like a mother hen, she wrote in 1988. There's a what-the-hell quality to his acting and his funhouse mirror figure, which the film needs. It would be too close to a real teen pick without it. And that kind of led to him being cast in Married with Children. Which... Mm. So he was contracted to play a recurring role as the uncle in Married with Children in 19... Uh, yeah, so Married with... came out, what, 1987? Somewhere, in the, and it ran for several years. Yeah, but died the day before the shooting of the episode. Mm-hmm. So James Hawk was cast as Uncle Otto in Divine's Place, and the episode was dedicated to Divine's memory. Um, for folks who are not aware, James Hawk is better known as King Kong Bundy, the former WWF wrestler, which makes sense because Al Bundy, Peg mm -hmm. Bundy, so his... Carry, yeah, so it was King Kong Bundy, because I was gonna I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, so I didn't know his real name. He died in his sleep from a combination of his weight and a disorder called sleep apnea, which is when you have difficulties breathing to completely stopping breathing while you're sleeping. Which is, uh, we have several friends who wear CPAPs. My sister does. Yes. 
you know, it's uh, and it's it's not always due to weight. It can be due to other issues as well. Just the way you're, you know, the other, way you sleep. The right. Way sometimes you're... it's it's the way that um, your esophagus is formed. I mean, there's it's um, I'm tongue gonna, throat esophagus. I'm gonna, say, yeah. I'm gonna spare you the details. It's kind of boring. But anyways, there are several people who do have it, and it's a very serious thing. So if you think you might have sleep apnea, if you're waking up several times throughout the night, uh, if you deal, you know, if you have asthma, shortness of breath, you know, if you snore a lot, uh, you may have sleep apnea. So it's definitely something to look into. And the death of Divine, I mean, it was... Uh, John Waters said he is still not over it. You know, it was so, I mean, obviously unexpected because aside from his weight, he was in really good health, you know? Uh, and and just to think of all that could have been, you know, he was going down this path of finally getting the career that he wanted you know i mean granted he loved divine he loved being divine but he wanted to be more than just divine and he was finally getting that opportunity to just be glenn you know and, and maybe you know maybe still be divine but be glenn and do things as glenn and be acknowledged as Glenn because you know when he did interviews and stuff he didn't do interviews as divine people would have them be like okay oh, hey, it's divine and then Glenn would show up and they'd be like oh well where's divine and he'd be like no I'm in the closet yeah in in, in the closet hanging up in the closet that's literally what he said to I think Larry King or, or to yeah. somebody he's like like where's divine hanging up in a closet in in my suitcase um thinking about what you're saying um with Glenn wanting to have this role as Glenn, the role of Uncle Otto wasn't that dissimilar from... It wouldn't have given him a whole lot of range, but I think it would have potentially opened up other doors. People would have seen him uh, you know, act out of drag and said, oh, hey... This guy can act. But this like guy the... can do so. And this was, you know, something that was more, you know, married with children. Obviously, you know, became super popular. Right, but um, I do recall that episode, like Uncle Otto and like all the cousins and stuff that lived in the backwoods. And there was one, uh, there was one thing. It's like somebody drove by and everybody started shooting out the windows, and they're like. Who is that? I don't know. If we knew, we wouldn't be shooting at them. Like, they were these, like, hick, like, backwoods, like, really not uh, not a desirable character. Like, it wasn't like you were playing Jefferson or Steve or one of these other characters that showed up now and then. Um, it was... Like, kind of like a gimmick. You know, like, there was a character who was very similar to Kelly, like this ditzy blonde. It's like, oh, I just married a new uh, uh, a new husband, and this one's got all his teeth. Show him, hon. And this old man, who looked very similar to the old man, uh, old man Murphy in uh, uh, Home Alone, probably not the same guy, holds up a little pill bottle and shakes it to show that he's got all his teeth. Because they're all in the pill bottle. So while this was uh, a prominent role on a successful sitcom, 
this probably is this wouldn't have been the last stop i think this would have been like a stepping stone but it was like still very close to divine like but, not far enough away but you know from his perspective though it was like f- you know it was him being acknowledged as something other than divine Yes. You know, which was a win in his book. You know, no, not absolutely. that not that he had anything against Divine. Obviously, you know, it, it's just like you start to evolve a little bit more as a person. You still enjoy like you, you like I said, Divine was a character and he had played that character for you know, twenty years at that point. You know, he was kind of ready to play something else, to do something else. Not, you know, completely discarding divine not not saying that i will never be divine again like no but he just wanted to move on to something else and attempt to do something else and you know do something on his own and you know unfortunately that didn't happen but divine has this incredible place in pop culture and his influence is in so many different places uh, including RuPaul's Drag Race, which dedicated an entire episode to John Waters and Divine in season seven, to which Ginger Minge actually won that challenge because she was Edith Massey's The Egg Lady oh, uh, to yeah. Trixie Mattel's Babs. Um, and it was just, it was, it was good. It was, I mean, like Trixie Mattel was really good, but like Ginger Minge with the eggs, she was just, she hated to the point where John Waters is now a fan of Ginger Minge because of, of that, because of what she did and how she wasn't afraid to get dirty and smear raw egg all over herself. Uh, Divine was actually the inspiration behind the appearance of Ursula in The Little Mermaid. Yes. You know, the the makeup, the crazy hair, how Ursula is just big and voluptuous. In charge and, you know, just just really brassy and brash and you know, and bold take no and prisoners. And... Yeah. And obviously even the voice a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. You know, and there are multiple documentaries dedicated to Divine as well. Uh, today, a 10-foot-high statue of Divine stands at the American Museum of Visionary Art in Baltimore. And Pink Flamingos is in the permanent collection at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. There was also, in the most recent uh Netflix miniseries Halston Divine is you can see Divine in a scene uh, at Studio 54 it's super brief it's not like if you know what you you know it's like oh hey that's Divine that person is supposed to be Divine you know it's not a prominent character but you know because Divine frequented Studio 54 I thought it was a really cool like nod to that to to put somebody who you know was dressed and resembled divine in the in that scene so so that's it that's you know and also oh oh um different uh makeup like uh collaboration yeah makeup collaborators have come out with divine inspired like makeup palettes and i mean obviously like Throughout drag, Divine is still an inspiration 
throughout the the like hardcore like punk movement and stuff, Divine is still an inspiration. Uh, yeah, and and in fashion, like you know, um, you know, some designers still draw inspiration from from Divine and. You know, artists still draw inspiration from Divine. I mean, Divine isn't going anywhere. Divine is permanently ingrained in pop culture, and rightfully so. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Like I did, there was a lot that I didn't know about Divine. Like I was aware of certain. Well, I mean, things. here's the thing: Patsy has never seen a John Waters film. That's not true. I saw uh, the time he was on The Simpsons. But that's not a John Waters film. That but was John Waters guesting on The Simpsons. He played a guy named John. I think that was uh, a bit of a stretch for him. He was very eccentric. I actually really liked that episode of The Simpsons, it's though. It's a great episode because uh, it's... And the episode is called Homer's Phobia because he's homophobic. Yes. Like, that's the whole, like, play on words. Uh, because he really likes John and then finds out that John's like, I gay. I don't know what to call you people. How about John? He's like, <laughs> he's like no, no. When he, he says, uh, this man is a fruit. No, wait, queer, queer. That's what you like to be called, right? Well, that or John. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is such a John Waters, like, that's such a great fucking line. It's one of the best lines in all of Simpsondom. Like, John Waters is so cool. And what's the, just, what's, just the what's the quote? Like, what's, the, what's the quote? If someone takes you home and they don't have books, don't fuck them. Yes, yes. John Waters said that. Yeah. Yeah. If you take somebody home and they do not have books, don't fuck them. Which yeah. is which is true. If you bring if you if a date brings you home and they do not have books, and I'm not talking about the Playboys in the bathroom or the Maxims or whatever, Those are uh, magazines. no type of magazineage or whatever. I'm talking actual books, you know, cover to cover, pages in between books. If they don't have actual books, you know, and I'm not even talking about a fucking Kindle either. No, no, leave that shit. An actual fucking book. If they do not have books, do not have sexual relations with them. And my audiobooks are on vinyl. I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So with that being said, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we have a brand new battle to throw down for you. Which means the brand new battle music. So I'll get that ready. Well, I mean, it's not brand new anymore. It's just the battle music. It's brand new. It's not brand. It's been brand new it's for like newest, three years. It's the newest battle music we have. Anyways, we'll be back. At Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and more, our mission is to raise as much money and awareness for pediatric cancer research as possible through the giving away of authenticated, autographed sports memorabilia and more. All proceeds from our games will be donated to various pediatric cancer foundations, with the majority going to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and the Jimmy Fund. Our mission to give back began when Craig and Kara's son William was diagnosed with a stage 4 Wilms tumor, and his courage to fight and overcome his cancer ultimately led to the start of the hashtag Strong-Willed Movement. For more information on how to donate and support this great cause, please visit the hashtag Strongwilled Sports Memorabilia and More Facebook group. Are you looking to add to your collection of sports memorabilia? 
Trying to find that grail item to show off to your friends? Do you like to win? Then head on over to the Major Sports Drops group on Facebook. From pucks to jerseys, bats to helmets, Major Sports Drops is your place for sports memorabilia items dropped daily. Signed by today's stars as well as Hall of Famers. Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Mike Ditka, Barry Sanders, Wade Boggs, Zdeno Chara, Odell Beckham, Lamar Jackson, Frank Thomas, and many more autographs have already been pulled. You can get in on the action for as little as $5 per spot. There are multiple drops each day, with special contests also running at various times each month as well. So join the Major Sports Drops Facebook group and get in on the action today. It's just that childhood dream, I guess. You think it's never really going to happen, but I've realized now nothing is impossible. Now I've been all over the world and met unbelievable people, and, and there's still much to do. So nothing is impossible. If you've got those kind of dreams, go for it. Maybe you'll be one of the lucky ones. If you believe in something and believe in yourself, do it. And we are back. So thanks for joining us on this divine ride. Ha <laughs> ha, get it? Do you get it? I, uh, I think so. Do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> no, this was fun. This was a character that I've been wanting to cover for a little bit. And, you know, someday I do plan on introducing Patsy to John Waters films. And maybe we will just have to cover some of those divine characters from those films. Yeah, I am 100% on board with that. I think that's a great idea. I mean, John Waters films are fantastic. They are so filthy and raunchy and trashy and just a really good time. Like yeah. a really good time. Yeah. I I I uh I'm I'm intrigued to see cuz we've watched some like some nasty like cult films, like some vicious shit, you know, and I'm interested to see what, you know, upset moviegoers in the 60s and 70s so much, um, you know, about, you know, with from these films, like what caused them to be like, well, we don't want any censorship because, you know, the movie would be about six minutes long, most likely. It's like starring Divine, the end. Um, <laughs> you know, so I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Ultimately... These films are a celebration of those who don't fit in. The weirdos, the outcasts, the, you know, the ones who society kind of spits on. You know, the ones who don't look a certain way, the ones who don't act a certain way. You know, it's for people like us you know? <laughs> yeah the, the people who don't fit in the nonconformists, you the know, folks that like, want to create exactly you know people who want to who want to make art and people who want to start riots and start movements and you know people who people who just want to you know do something i don't know where i'm going with that anyways we have a new battle for this week which means if we have a new battle we have to play the battle theme song There we go.
Today, we are throwing down a divine disagreement. The fight for cha-cha heels. There is only one pair of cha-cha heels, and everyone wants them. Which divine character has the chutzpah to best her opponents and be the last one standing in cha-cha heels? And you can choose... Oh, the sandbox is a dog park. And special guest referee is John Waters' mustache. So Why you... can't it just be John Waters? Because <laughs> it's John Waters' mustache. Oh, that's thin. <laughs> you can choose from Don Davenport from Female Trouble, Babs Johnson from Pink Flamingos, Rosie Velez from Lust in the Dust, or Edna Turnblad from Hairspray. That's a, that's a pretty good pretty good uh, collection of characters. You don't know. You haven't seen these films. I just watched a documentary about Divine, <laughs> so I have a pretty good idea about well, what some of these characters Divine, are like. So I think they're pretty good. Yeah, basically. Like, if it was all Nick Cage characters, I'd be like, oh, this is going to be a tough choice. You know? The winner is Nick Cage. <laughs> the winner is us. <laughs> Reminds me... Uh, Jimmy Lambs posted a picture of a guy wearing uh, like a two-piece outfit, and the pattern was different All Nick, Nick Cage, Cage faces. Head, yes. And I was like, holy shit, is that me? I almost commented, Patsy, is that you? <laughs> I commented, is that me? Like, so now I have to find that outfit and, and It's probably it. one of those wish things. I, I wish I had it. <laughs> that is one of those wish things. Um, but yeah, so next week, what do we got? So next week, we are doing something kind of cool, a little different. It is our sixth anniversary. Yes, the sixth anniversary of Throwdown Thursday. So what we are doing is something that we're going to need a little bit of help with. We're talking about our top six characters that we've covered ever over the past six years. And the top six characters that we hope to cover Eventually. And we want to hear from you. We want to know who are your favorite, top six favorite characters that we've covered. And what are six characters you hope we cover in the future? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to come up with uh, at least six of each and some honorable mentions. Oh, no. Patsy, that's so unlike you. Honorable mentions. Your lists are so concise and concrete. Oh, yeah, because I forgot thorough. how quick and, uh, and, and quick and uh, painless yours are. I keep forgetting that you Mine never do. Mine are perfect. Yeah. My lists are perfect. And uh, for, for those of you who are uh, sports fans, I also want to throw out there that right now in Major Sports Drops, the group that uh, I am running, that I, I recently took over, uh, we are running mini games for a Tom Brady authentic autographed helmet. So if you want to get in, take a chance. It's ten bucks a spot. Ten bucks, you could get uh, a, a helmet that goes for two to three thousand dollars. So take a chance. Head on over to Major Sports Drops on Facebook, and uh, you know, you never know. But in regards to us wanting stuff from you. You can send us a voicemail or email to throwdownthursdaypodcast at gmail.com or we are also going to be making uh, 
posts on these social medias. So you can always comment on the Facebook post or the Twitter post, uh, your lists. So be on the lookout for those as well. Also, in lieu of that, you can send us forty dollars. Oh my God! With the forty dollars, yeah, no I one's never... gonna send you forty dollars. Somebody send me forty dollars to prove her wrong. Somebody sent. I have Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, mailboxes. You can just hand me money. I accept cash. I don't know if I take credit cards. I'd have to check. But yeah, prove her wrong. <laughs> Prove dozens of you. Dozens of you. Dozens of you prove her wrong. Prove me wrong. Um, also, the submission window is now open for the first annual Amalgamania Podcast and Entertainment Awards. For more information, you can go to amalgamania.com. That's amalgamania.com uh, for information on submissions, categories, and more. The submission deadline is July 4th. We got a couple so weeks. So if you have a podcast or if you do stuff on YouTube or Twitch or if you know someone who has a podcast or does stuff on YouTube or Twitch, you know, let them know. What we're trying to do is just recognize independent content creators and thank them for all of their hard work, especially stuff that they've been putting out throughout the pandemic. Yeah, we want to thank everybody for being entertaining and being awesome and we have trophies like we there's a legit trophy like we got the uh the first prototype and this thing is it's pretty it's huge and it's it's absolutely awesome and it is thick it is like three c's thick like she is thick uh yeah you definitely want this hardware in your home because not only would it look good in you want to show up your big, thick hardware? <laughs> oh Submit God. to the Amalgamania Oh, my God. We have to make that a awards. commercial. I probably should. We did play the ad earlier in the we episode. We did, but oh, my God. We need to make that commercial. Yeah. Come get your big, thick award. Wave it around in everyone's face. Make them jealous. Make them scared of it. <laughs> You know what? That's that's how Divine would have described that award. Hundred percent. Yes. So, Patsy, do you have anything else? Uh. Mm-mm. Uh. Uh. To err is human. To forgive is divine. So, on that note, we will. See you next Thursday.